To those who visit Mickey D's for their favorite breakfast item and then go somewhere else for coffee, give this Mickey D's brew a second chance. The glow up was real. Try any size iced coffee brewed with 100% Arabica beans for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with a savory sausage McMuffin with egg for $2.79. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Con la frente arrugada de preocupación, el Padreus Protectorus siempre anda encima de sus hijos. Cuidado por donde manejas. Y evita la carretera que hay tráfico. ¿Saliste hace 20 minutos y no sé de ti? Pero el Padreus va evolucionando. Como State Farm está ahí las 24 horas, ahora están más tranquilos. Mejor nos vamos solos a Tulum. Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. Llama para obtener una cotización hoy. This is a Raven Slayer production. Raven Slayer, creating a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Welcome. You're listening to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening. An adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of the movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle, free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful, sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week, the focus of the show will be on different sexual topics designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is the sex education that you did not receive in high school, but should have. I am Ladyboy Gigi. I'm a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. I am here to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. You are listening to Polyamory 2 which is a continuation from last week's show. Let me wrap up the original story, but let me make a comment first about the intimacy. So, what you guys are, what y'all, excuse me, what y'all are explaining about is what I kind of go through. It's seen as unacceptable for me to get kisses from people, not on the lips. I'm not comfortable with kissing people on the lips unless I'm in a relationship with them. But I like cuddling with people in bed. I love receiving kisses on my head, on the top of my head, my forehead, and on my cheek, as long as, you know, they ask first. Yeah. Not in a sexual or romantic way. I love it. I love the intimacy, and I love the familiarity or the kinship from it mm-hmm. and there is this bonding I mean I know that 
they've done studies on infants that are born and they have to be put in incubators because they were premature births and they need a sterile environment. And without human touch, these infants will die. They tried mechanical arms to touch them. They tried all kinds of things. And it took, even through gloved hands, it took human touch. When we touch each other, something transfers. Science can't say exactly what it is, but it doesn't work with mechanical arms. And they made some pretty realistic mechanical arms to touch the babies. And it didn't transfer anything. They died without human touch. We live now in a very touch-deprived society. And I think there's a real need for intimacy without sex. Mm -hmm. There's a need for sex, too. Don't get me wrong. I love sex. <laughs> but you don't want to shut the door out on being intimate with people you're close to, with your friends. I mean, intimacy can be so empowering and give us, I mean, they've even done studies where when you're touchy-feely with your friends, it gives you upper edge over people that are touch-deprived mm -hmm. and are just friends from, you know, shake hands type friends. <laughs> and to reiterate, it's all up to everybody's personal preference. Oh, yes. And what they're comfortable with. So if you're not somebody who's touchy-feely, you're okay. That's oh, yeah. who you are, and it's okay. But me personally, I need the cuddles. I need the kisses and the love of course, as long as somebody asks first. I don't want random mm -hmm. people randomly touching me without my permission. And that, again, comes back to being fully consensual. No means no. Ask before you touch. And then, Part of the temple rules uh, when I run sacred sex temple. <laughs> it's like, be then, sure to read the rules, understand, don't just go up and hug somebody, ask them first. Now you can ask non-verbally, you can open your arms with the gesture of, will you hug me? And if they come up and hug you, then you've got any consent. But you don't want to just go up and hug somebody. So it doesn't necessarily need to be verbal consent. But there some has sort to of be consent. consent. And it's not like when you make the gesture of open your arms and they kind of back off, don't be offended. They just said, no, I'm not giving you consent. I don't want to hug you. And they don't want to send the wrong message. And that's okay, too. Just accept it that, okay, they don't want the hug. That doesn't mean they don't like you. They just, and who knows, maybe they have touch issues. Some people do. They've been through abusive situations. And touch, they don't receive touch the same way. Before yeah. the, as before the abuse, the touch can be painful for some people. And so they don't want that intimacy. They're not ready. Doesn't mean they'll never be ready. They may be in time. But there has to be some healing before they're ready. And I just wanted to throw that in because I think that's really important, what you bring up about being consensual and asking before you touch someone. Yeah, because when we talk about things like mm -hmm. um, intimacy with people who aren't partners or lovers, polyamory, it's not to say we're trying to make um, these things the dominance 
the dominant over the what the current status quo is we're just trying to make an avenue saying like it's okay to be this way as well mm -hmm. it's being accepting and affirming with consent for all types of people not just the homosexuals and the sexuals but also with the asexuals being inclusive with everybody because we all need a place to call home we all need a place to be felt welcomed and loved and cherished and i cherish a wide variety i love the diversity <laughs> me too and what was the other thing you wanted to touch on well, I wanted to wrap up my journey of polyamory, but I don't want us to end the podcast on a negative note, especially oh, no. since no. this is a positive note right now. Mm -hmm. So would you like me to continue the story? Sure, sure. And like I said, um, this might be triggering to some people who have experienced abuse, especially sexual abuse, So, um, and I'm not going to be graphic about it, of course, but I'm just letting people know are listening in on this right now in case it triggers them because yeah. I want people to know my story mm. because I don't want them to feel alone if they're going through this or they feel like you know it was their fault or polyamory is wrong for them because they tried it and it didn't work out or it yeah. turned for the worst and believe it or not I went through my father was a minister and I went through physical and emotional abuse with him and he beat me. I mean, you know, spoil the, spare the rod kind of philosophy. Mm -hmm. He beat the holy shit out of me. I even went comatose at one point from some of the beatings. I had marks and welts and from some of those beatings. I was beat, and he beat me in anger at times. It wasn't just a discipline. He was working his anger out on me. It was very abusive. And he told me, while he was doing it, he was telling me what a piece of shit I was and how unworthy I was. And I also went through a lot of emotional abuse with my mother. Both of them were as painted as the scapegoat, the, the whipping boy, the black sheep of the family. <laughs> and I had to live with that. And I went through a lot of healing to get to where I am now. Then I went through a lot of healing, especially in early adulthood, before I could be intimate and before I could be fully loving of myself or of other people. And it had to start with me being able to love myself again and feel worthy again. And so even if you have gone through abuse... There is ways to overcome and still live a full and rich life of whatever you choose. And it's your choice. And explore and find what does work for you. Intimacy can be so powerfully healing if you allow it in. But it can be so scary at first. I went through the fear of it. I thought, oh, if I open up that door... They're, they're just, this person's just going to be abusive to me. Mm. They're going to use it against me. And I want to allow that vulnerability and openness to another person. 
And so I had to overcome some of that overreaction to the abuse and be able to open my life to where I could be loving and not only of giving love, but of receiving love. And that was one of the hardest parts after going through abuse was learning again to be able to receive love. And for a long time, all I did was give love. I gave them all everywhere I could. But, uh, you know, if someone wanted to love me back, it was like, oh no, run away, hide. <laughs> Can't go there. Took me a while to work through that. And it, took, it was partly linked to my, I didn't feel worthy of being loved. I could love others, but somehow I wasn't worthy enough. And I had to first learn how to love myself to realize, yes, I am worthy of love. I'm going through the same thing right now, and I've gotten better after leaving my abusive ex-girlfriend and going to therapy again, and then possibly I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to see if I need to be on medication because I have chemical imbalances in my brain that I can't get over. Mm. Maybe I don't need it, maybe I do, but I'm going to go ask a professional and not, yeah. you know listen to all the people who aren't who don't know what they're talking about i'm, I'm done yeah. with that i'm done with that i'm a big advocate i mean I'm a, my background's in counseling and social work so uh yes if you need professional help get it but also know that you know the answer isn't always in the pill part of the time the answer is in just learning again how to love yourself and to be able to Take the challenge and open yourself to loving others. But you might need a pill to get to the place yes, where you're you able to accept that. And I'm not saying don't take the pills. I'm just saying they're not the cure-all. It takes more than just the pill. Mm -hmm. You have to take some actions and face some of the fears. I had to face my fears. And it can be terrifying that first time. You kind of go, okay, I'll try this. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> and then you try it. But you want to do it with someone that you can trust. And sometimes it starts with a therapist, opening up with a therapist or a counselor and say, well, I need to learn again how to love myself and love others. Because I was so, you know, I see abuse as being so damaging to the psyche. It kind of damages us in a way that keeps us from really fully experiencing intimacy and love with ourselves and with others. And it's hard to be able to open that door because abuse is a violation of trust. We've been violated. And when it occurs, it is a psychic violation as well as a physical or emotional. Yep. So getting back to my journey of polyamory, where we left off, I said I finally discovered I was for sure poly around 11th slash 12th grade. And this was after I had broken up with my girlfriend again for like the fourth or fifth time. My ex-girlfriend currently. <laughs> I was part of a religious organization at the time because I... There is, I'm going to try and be vague as possible, number one, so I don't trigger somebody. And then number two, just so, you know, I, I don't get, I don't want to 
my sexual abuser to know that I'm finally calling out, calling him out on what he did to me because I never filed a police report because I didn't realize I was being sexually abused till it was too late Yeah. because I was being brainwashed essentially into thinking that mm-hmm. nothing bad was being, ha- nothing, it, it was either my own doing or this, it, it wasn't sexual abuse that was happening to me. It was just things couples did. Yeah. And unfortunately we do live in a world where some entities are disguised as religions, but they're actually cults. And there's groupthink and mind control and all kinds of weird shit going on. So be wary of that. I'm not saying your group is that way, but it creeps into some religious groups, especially some of the more fanatical religious groups. Be aware of it. Be careful of it. I got caught up in a cult at one point in my life, and it was very, you know, fortunately I recognized it and stepped out early on when I recognized what was going on, the dynamics, that there was a lot of people that couldn't see it and just got caught up in it and hurt. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. The person who sexually abused me is technically a member, as far as I know right now, because they did the ceremony and everything to become a member. Me, I kept it to myself because I had no proof that this person was sexually abusing me. And like I said, by the time I realized I was being sexually abused, whatever evidence I had, it was too late. So I couldn't file a police report. Yeah. They actually helped me in my spiritual journey, and I believe wholeheartedly in the 11 points of power that they have as a basis for their religious organization. It's just more unfortunate that there's a bunch of bad apples in the group that I I ended up meeting on a personal level. (laughs) So what happened was I joined because they were getting a lot of hatred from a lot of Christian groups. I met my sexual abuser after breaking up with my ex abusive ex-girlfriend again and they promised me a bunch of lies because they were I didn't know this at the time I didn't notice at the time because I was 17 going on 18 (laughs) I believe I was 18 finally when this happened to me and I was still learning about you know people's manipulation and stuff he they promised me saying oh I'll get you away from your dad because my I love my dad but he suffocates me with his bigotry (laughs) I think deep down my dad is a good person but he's lost with what he's been taught and him wanting to love me as myself and so at the time I wanted to get away from my dad and so when I was talking about it they realized that they could manipulate me by saying, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of you. I'll give you everything you want. I'll pay for your school when you go to college. I'll let you live with me, no strings attached. I'll teach you everything about the BDSM community and being a pet and stuff. Yeah. And I just, just, I genuinely cared about this person at one point, but that's what got me hooked was they said that they would 
essentially become my savior from my family issues. And at some, I'm, I'm trying to speed this up because I, I don't want, like I said, give too much detail. The relationship started out decently. You know, I had consensual sex with this person. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of more out of desperation because I was so heartbroken from my ex-girlfriend hurting me. And because I didn't care about myself. And because I just wanted to leave the emotional slash possible physical abuse from my family. But the relationship did start out consensual at first, yes. And then I couldn't stop thinking about my ex-girlfriend. Things started going downhill. The person lost their job. And they just kept getting worse with their personality. I'm trying to remember this in a linear fashion. So Well, sometimes it's not linear. (laughs) Sometimes it can be flashes. And I know some of my, especially with highly traumatic experiences, it's no longer linear. So just tell it as you feel. At some point in the relationship, after they lost their job, it just started going downhill. I stopped having, I stopped wanting to have sex with that person. Yeah. Because I didn't want to. I, it made me feel bad. We never got to have sex in a nice place. It was always in this dirty, grimy bathroom, and I felt so uncomfortable and scared. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I didn't realize I was being sexually abused slash possibly raped was because I kept telling myself, oh no, this isn't sexual abuse. If it was, I would be screaming right now. Because I I did say no. There were times where I said no, I don't want to. But I didn't shout it. I didn't try to fight back physically I just kind of sat there and took it because I wanted to get it over with because I was scared and so in my mind I thought I should be fighting back because I'm not fighting back it doesn't count as sexual abuse slash rape um even though that's not true so this person was one of the first people I had a the first and only poly relationship I had Because they, during the time when we stopped kind of having less and less sex, they suggested that I try to get back with my ex-girlfriend saying things like, oh, you never had a third party try to help you two get back together. It was just only you two. I can help you guys get back together. And at the time, I didn't realize they were just looking for somebody to have sex with. They weren't trying to help me and her get together or try to mend our relationship. They just wanted to person to ulterior motives yeah sounds like yeah and it was the first and i haven't had another poly relationship after that not because i don't want to but that's my first and only poly relationship it was really terrible my ex-girlfriend was terrible as usual being very manipulative always gaslighting me that was the only time i ever had a sexual experience with more than one person at once That sexual experience, it wasn't bad. It was consensual. I was consenting to that experience. But I felt so empty and hollow. Yeah. Wasn't in the right energy. 
I felt so sick. And when he, <clears throat> when they tried to have sex with me afterwards, and I couldn't because I had to go home to my dad, because he asked for me to come home, they just got upset with me and saying, "Well, you just had, you just had sex with her. Why can't you do it with me?" Not because I didn't want to, but because my dad was begging me to come home because I was gone for almost a whole day and he was worried about me. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, this person would touch me without my consent. They manipulated me saying, you never want to sleep with me anymore. You don't love me anymore. Oh, you're the only person. You're the only reason why I'm alive. Otherwise, if you left me, I'd kill myself. And I didn't want, I felt so terrible wanting to leave them because I wanted to leave early on in the relationship, but I felt bad because I felt like, you know, they might have killed themselves if I left or, or, or I felt, I felt like a terrible person for leaving because I wasn't sexually attracted to that person anymore after that first spark left us really quickly and it made me feel terrible because that's why I say I feel bad that I'm a shallow person because I wanted to leave because I wasn't physically attracted to them and it made me feel bad and he made they made me feel bad for feeling that way well part of the physical attraction is also it sounds to me like there's also some uh, emotional unattraction going on that it wasn't just about physical attraction. I remember I had a, I mean, she was a knockdown, gorgeous girlfriend at one point. Turned out the personality was terrible. Personality was horrible. And she was manipulative and very ugly inside. And she became very unattractive at a emotional and psychological level. And it's just like I'd look into her eyes and see this deep chasm of ick. And so there's that unattract, or I don't know if unattraction is quite the right word, this repulsion almost. I had an extreme <clears throat> repulsion to him because mm-hmm. he refused. I mean, they, they, I'm trying to keep this. Is, yeah. I want to be open, just to reiterate, I want to be open about this because this is actually the first time I'm talking about this in a public manner. I usually talk about it in a private manner. Yeah. But like I said, I want to keep it in a middle ground mm-hmm. in a way because I never filed a police report and I don't want this to be taken as slander if they ever do find out I'm talking about well, this. I'm not saying anybody's name. They're not slandering anybody. This is your experience. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is that it's good to let people know that sometimes we get into things, we're attracted to someone and things can go wrong. Like you said, there are certain triggers that occurred. He lost his job and so there's probably added stressors. Not that that made any of that right, but it may have precipitated some of the the bad behaviors. Does that make sense? Yes. Doesn't say that's he should be excused for it, but that's part of what can happen in real life. And 
you have to do what you can to support them. But if it becomes toxic, get out. Don't don't feel like you owe it to them. And that's that's a hard thing. Uh, it's kind of a tough love thing. <laughs> well, it, it's a hard thing because people are conditioned to, uh, you know, it, it's, it's this idea that relationships are, you know, a very serious undertaking. And when you, like, agree to be in a relationship with someone, it's the, like, basically the, the marriage values, like, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, like you're, and I, I think that that's a, a ludicrous expectation to, to put on people because if a person doesn't wind up being the person that you thought they were, you have every right to get out. But we are t- taught as a society that you're, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to stick it out and supposed to try really hard. I think one of the big problems in a lot of relationships i think people stay in relationships till they hate each other and Mm -hmm. like only in relationships after both of the parties literally hate the other person and i think that that's so toxic i i think that like more often than not you should break up before you start hating the other person I would like to say I commend you, your tenacity and your survival skills to get through all that. I... It's amazing that you come out as good and beautiful and amazing as you are. And... I still... So wonderful. And yes, I'm sure there's still some pain and struggles you're going through. I still feel dirty sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. I still feel like sometimes it's my fault because when I talk about it to some people, like I talked about it with one of my really close friends. He's a good guy, really sweet guy, mm-hmm. and he doesn't feel like it was rape. He feels like it was sexual abuse, but he doesn't want to say it's rape. And then when I tell somebody else about it, they're like, it is rape. And then when I talk about it to a professional, they say, it's up to me what I want to label it as. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'll switch between saying sexual abuse, sexual assault, and then other times I'll say rape because I still question whether or not was I actually raped or was it just sexual abuse? Because mm-hmm. I don't want to diminish, you know, rape victims' problems by, by saying I'm a rape victim when I might not be one. Yeah. Um. Because of the way it happened. Like I said, there were times where I flat out said no, but it was in small whispers. And I essentially didn't fight back. I just kind of took it like a board. Mm -hmm. Because I just wanted it to be over with. Because he would just keep saying I don't love him anymore because I refuse to be sexually intimate with him. When in reality, it was because of his hygiene. Mm Mm-hmm. He would smell like garbage. He wouldn't wash his area properly. And I could smell it when he would make force me to go down on him. And I didn't want to because I knew he didn't wash himself properly. And the environment... That's important. I mean, 
good hygiene, especially with your sex organs, is important for both men and women. And he would just be frustrated with me to the point where it kind of seemed like he wanted to punch me. He never did punch me, but he would be like, I washed it. You're just being sensitive. And then, you know, he would just say, you're ruining my mood. Things like that. All because I told him, could you please just wash it really quick? Because I just didn't want to smell it. No. You know, he didn't take care of himself properly. There's nothing wrong with being bigger. I actually am attracted to some people who are bigger on the weight spectrum, even Mm -hmm. though I prefer skinnier people. But he was, he just kept blaming his weight problems on other other things. He 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 didn't want to come exercise with me. He would just be like, "It's it's something else's fault for the way I am. I used to be this really cute twink, but now look at me like stuff like that." Where he would devalue himself, and when I would try to not necessarily push him to be skinny, but say, "Well." why don't you come exercise with me or why don't you just drop these eating habits or smoking habits? Because one of the reasons why he's gaining weight is because he was, it was from smoking, I I believe. I wasn't sure. I was just making a guess. He didn't want to do it. He just kept having excuses after excuses. Mm-hmm. He would touch me in my sleep without my consent to the point where I would be bleeding and swollen, and I didn't realize what was going on till one, till I woke up in the middle of it, and I had to punch him in the face to get off of me. And he told me, oh, I didn't know I was doing that. I was just sleep, I was sleeping while I was doing this. And that's when I, that's what I'm talking about when I say I didn't realize I was being sexually abused, because I believed him when he said that, because I have sleep apnea, and I have night terrors, So I will literally get out of my bed and start screaming, and I won't be even awake for it. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was something like that. Mm -hmm. But it turns out it wasn't, so he wouldn't stop doing that, and essentially he lied to me about the reasons why he was doing that to me. He did not have my consent to touch me in my sleep, especially in the manner he did where I was bleeding, Mm -hmm. and I felt sick. And that could, and I didn't realize I could have used that as evidence against him for the police reports and stuff because, you know, I believed him when he said he wasn't doing it on purpose. The fact that he tried to force me to do sexual things that I wasn't comfortable with, and he said things like, oh, it's supposed to hurt, you're just being a whiny baby, it's supposed to bleed, you're supposed to be bleeding. Because I was I know I wasn't well versed in those sexual experiences, so I didn't know any better. He wouldn't use lubrication. I kept begging him, please, please use lubrication. He's like, "Oh, you don't need lubrication. You just take it." No, <laughs> lube is your best friend. <laughs> exactly. And so, like I said, I'm not trying to be graphic because I don't want to trigger people. But at the same time, I kind of do have to be specific, otherwise. People aren't going to understand why I thought it wasn't sexual abuse. It was well, essentially... it's also important to educate people because there are so many myths out there. There are people that believe that it's got to be rough and hard and without lube, and that if they're not bleeding, it's I'm not doing it right, and that's total myth. That's not good sex for either party, really. Yeah, for either party, but. 
I think the important thing is to realize, hey, use food. Do yeah. sex consensually. And, and even, you know, I've seen this so many times where oftentimes in a misogynistic society that we live in, the husband feels like it's his privilege to have sex. And the wife has to comply. It's her duty as a wife. Well, no, um, that's not what you agreed to when you went into the relationship. And one, one, you know, one of the things you were mentioning earlier is a, a really big, like, red flag that people need to watch out for because it happens all the time. This idea that if someone tells you, if you really loved me, you would X, Y, and Z. Oh, you're not doing this. You must not love me. Like, that is... It, that is extreme emotional manipulation, and it is one of the most common tactics that people use. And it seems innocent because, you know, there's a good chance that everyone in this car has said those words at least once, you know, and felt that way. But it, you know, it doesn't make that feeling valid or right. And also, uh, people who are using it to get what they want, they know what they're doing. They, they don't actually feel that way. They just know that if they say these words, it will elicit the response that they want. And I think that's part of living in a sex-negative culture. We don't get a good sex education. And that is really in my mind part of the root of the problem we're not taught that what good sex is and what bad sex is we're supposed to somehow know instinctively and I think we kind of do a little bit it sounds like you did in that situation but he definitely was clueless yeah. and I'm not trying to brand him as a bad guy he wasn't taught better where did he go learn sex from? Probably some of his buddies or some of his role models. And when behavior is passed on that's not based in education and factual knowledge, you get a lot of mythology that gets passed on, a, bad, a lot of bad information that gets passed on. He did tell me that that's the way he was taught because mm -hmm. he... Because he switches positions from top and bottom. He used to be a bottom a lot. Mm. So when he was first mostly a bottom, that's the way he was treated. Yeah. But that doesn't excuse the way he treated me. No, and I'm not saying it should be an excuse for his behavior, but I'm also saying that I think the underlying problem is that we don't get a proper sex education in this culture. And when we don't, we're pretty ignorant, and we have to learn from the best sources we can learn from. And some of those sources are just plain wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, I'm not saying he's should be excused, but I'm also saying that it's not entirely due to... Just him being evil. Him being evil. It's that he was never taught better. 
And I think that's where the real crime comes in. He's as much a victim as you are in that situation. Yeah, because I wasn't taught better either. Because if Mm -hmm. I was, I would have been able to figure out, oh, this isn't right. And that's partly why I do this show is because I want to teach people better. And teach people that, yes, these are the ways to have amazing sexual experiences that will take you places you can't even dream of yet. You haven't experienced it. You haven't been taught how to yet. But I want to teach you how to on this show. (laughs) Another thing he would do is he'd try to tell me lies about his sexual organ. Because my sexual organ is obviously different from his. He is cis male. I'm assigned female at birth. So there, even though I can study up, on a lot of things on my own, take mm-hmm. courses on sex ed on my own. There are some things I I don't think I'll ever know unless I actually had that specific sex organ, to be honest. So he would tell me lies about it, saying, oh, you don't feel anything, or, oh, I ha- or you're, you're hurting me by not having sex with me, stuff like that, that should have been easily red flags, but... I didn't know any better because of the mm-hmm. lack of ex- education on my end. Yeah. And so, like, he would try to do things by putting it in a different place, penetrating in a different area where I told him he couldn't do that. It was mm-hmm. this area only that he could penetrate. But then he would say things like, oh, I didn't realize I was using the wrong hole because I can't feel anything with my sexual organ. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that I too. Know, I know, I understand. <laughs> well, I'd like to ask you, uh, since then, you said you had moved on and things have become more positive in your life. Yeah, after... So what happened after all that crazy stuff? I didn't realize it was sexual abuse till I told... Nothing clicked that it was sexual abuse till one day, one night after I'd hurt myself, harmed again. I relapsed. I told one of the leaders what he was doing to me, and he kind of said, Samuel, that doesn't really sound consensual. And then I kind of jumped in my ex's defense saying, oh, no, 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 he would never hurt me. And he was, and my, and the leader was like, okay, if you say so. And then after... I had ended the relationship once again with my ex-girlfriend and with my sexual abuser. I kind of started putting the pieces together, realizing mm-hmm. I think I was raped. And it kind of took me a while to get to this point because for the longest <clears throat> time I thought it was my fault because I stayed with him for so long because I didn't want him to kill himself. And because of the fact that I did technically consent to some sexual encounters um and or... i would say that you know when you're held emotional hostage which is what occurred he was saying he would kill himself unless you pretty much did what he wanted that's being held emotional hostage on top of that he and that's a form of rape too uh, not physical rape but rape of the mind rape of the emotions on top of that manipulative he, 
he was a pretty big guy. He was three to four times my height and weight. And he, in a fit of rage, has punched holes in walls before because I, I was there that night he did that when his landlord got mad at him. And it scared me yeah. because I, when that happened in the back of my mind, I was thinking, what's going to happen if I don't consent to sex with him? Mm-hmm. There's those kind of emotional, almost want to say hostage situation, you know, when the, someone displays inappropriate, behavior, violent behavior in front of you. Yes, because it's he the implication is he if you don't do what me. I say, it could be worse. Yeah, he. I'm thankful that he never got violent, violent with me aside from mm-hmm. the sexual encounters. But if he could, if he wanted to, he could have. He could have mm-hmm. put me in the hospital. He could have strangled me to death during a sexual encounter. He could have held me hostage where I couldn't wouldn't be able to ever see my family again. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why I didn't know if it was my fault or not because I ended up staying when I, I technically could have left. All yeah. I had to do was leave, but I was too scared to leave. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean by being held emotional hostage. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Oh, okay. And so right now... I struggle with it a little bit, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Mm-hmm. All I struggle with is the unclean feeling that he gave me. Because, like, it's not like he took my virginity away. I, I wasn't a virgin when I met him, but it still made me feel dirty and gross. And it still made me not like my body anymore. And the, um... The fact that I kind of, I feel like an idiot because I quote-unquote let it happen. You're not an idiot. You're very intelligent. And I would like to say this. Oftentimes we get caught up in situations that look one way. And when it flips around and becomes something different, it's like we've given a lot of love and trust and there's this major violation, but it doesn't isn't doesn't look at the moment like a violation. And we want to give people the benefit of the doubt, and then it spirals downhill. That's not your fault. I'm getting there slowly. I'm getting there. That's something someone else did to you, and I think you are getting there. I think you. But I'd like to kind of paint another vision. And that is with some education. You can learn how to identify and experience some really healthy and amazing polyamorous sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. When the time's right. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And you can see the other side where it's really amazing and beautiful. Yeah, it was also my first look into the fetish slash BDSM community mm-hmm. because I had somewhat interesting sex before I met him with my ex-girlfriend, but it, we didn't have anything 
even close to being fetishy aside from pet names and stuff like that. Yeah. And role-playing, a little bit of role-playing. Role-playing. And so he made me feel so scared that I couldn't even use my safe word because I knew if I did, he would, I don't know if he would or wouldn't stop if I said my safe word because I didn't feel like there was a point because he might not have stopped. And then number two, I knew he would be upset if I said my safe word. And that's not being a good dom when my subs it. In fact, I often will test my subs when I'm playing with a submissive and say, I want to take you to yellow. I want to hear you say it and test them on it. Because I've been with subs that were too afraid to say their safe words. Mm-hmm. And so I made them practice saying it. I said, I'm going to keep going harder till you say yellow. And I want to hear you say it. And I'll go up harder, very slow progression, harder and harder, till they say yellow. And I'll say, that's very good. You did well. And that way I know when they really need the safe word, they have it, and I will respond positively to it. And that's the role of a good dom. I want to hear my subs' safe words. I don't want to harm them. (laughs) I don't want to take them to the bad place. I want to take them to that good subspace. And on a good journey. And despite the fact that I went through something so horrible as my first experiences <clears throat> where I'm putting my foot in the door to the poly community, to the um, fetish slash BDSM community, I still look positively on these communities. Mm-hmm. I still don't hold it against them for what happened to me. Um, it's never the community. It's a few individuals can make it anything look bad Mm -hmm. and unfortunately in every community now the man there's been a few bad apples so to speak yep exactly (laughs) and it doesn't mean that it's not that there's bad communities it's that there's a few bad members and what i've experienced is that there's more good members than bad and there is protection in being part of groups and meeting people in group situations, getting to know them first before jumping in, especially in a BDSM situation, learning and really exploring with the person before you play. Like I said, um, this hasn't put a damper on me being poly or me being... Mm-hmm. I. I guess like you could call me a fetishist, fetishist, since yeah. I do have fetishes. I, I, oh, I do too, darling. <laughs> I am still into S and M, not heavy mm-hmm. S and M, just mm-hmm. some light spankings here and there, and chains um, being um, chained up and stuff like that. I'm still into that. I, I am a little wary of, you know, dating heavier people now. Mm-hmm. or people with beards and stuff like that. I feel so terrible because I know that these people are not him. Mm-hmm. But I hate... But that's... Just, that's. I'm being honest. I do get a little weary with heavier people. I do get a little weary with people who have facial hair. Yeah. And not necessarily people who smoke, but sometimes, once in a while... The disgusting smells in that house 
that I was subjected to, and one of them is including cigarette smoke, will make me feel bad. Mm. But if anybody who knows me personally is smoking near me, I want them to know that you don't you can smoke freely around me. But that was just one of the after effects of what yeah. happened to me. Well, you went through a trauma, and it's certain when you when a person goes through a trauma, there are going to be certain triggers from the trauma that will set off warning bells in you. And part of the healing process is recognizing that no, not every smoker and not every large man had to go through the same thing after the abuse from my father for a long time. That's very distrustful of big men. And I had to face my own fears and say, but in a safe environment and be able to become close to a big guy, not necessarily sexually or even intimately, but close to them in a kind of friendship way and become vulnerable to them. And I even did some role play through BDSM play with some big guys just to kind of, but I knew ahead of time by meeting with them and talking and discussing things and knowing that they were good people in the BDSM community, that they were honorable and respectful. And I could tell kind of, you can tell when you get to know someone, they're being respectful. And then I opened the door and said, well, let's do a role-playing scene. This is a problem I need to work through. And they worked through it with me. And I overcame that fear of the big, big men. Another reason why I didn't know... And it ceased to be a trigger and have control of me. Mm-hmm. Another, another reason why I didn't know if it was rape slash sexual abuse was because... I hate to admit it, but... Through all the madness and havoc, I felt physical stimulation. Not a lot. It was mostly pain and being scared. But Mm -hmm. there were moments through the pain and being scared that I did feel some sort of satisfaction because of my personal fetishes. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel terrible. Like, how can this be considered abuse when my body had a physical response to it. Well, your bodies, like bodies are wired to have a physical response to sex. And all t- you know, the body doesn't know if it's rape or lovemaking, except it rapes a little bit more violent. So it's gonna, you're gonna get some good stimulating feelings even when you're being raped. It doesn't mean that rape is good or that you enjoy it and it can send a mixed signal. I guess part of what I'm saying is that the body's kind of wired from when you receive certain stimulation it's going to make you feel a little bit good even though it's a bad situation and what's happening is bad but it's due to the physical stimulation not the setting and the protected environment that you should be in I wish I had known that. I didn't know that because, like Mm -hmm. I said, it contributed to my doubts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like I said, I I am, I have fetishes, and um, I didn't know if 
they if I did go to the police, would they believe me because he might have said, oh, we're just playing S&M, and Samuel likes it like this. Well, I wouldn't really get into what ifs. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. Uh, what happened happened. It's time to look at where you are now and where you want to go. Oh, no, I and know. And that's the beauty of being able to put something like this. Yeah, you've you got to process it. And it's going to be with you. It's with me from my abuse and stuff. But there comes a point in your growth where all of a sudden you you address it, you face the fears, you overcome them, and you go through a healing process. And it's like, okay, it, it happened, it was bad, but I'm ready to move on. And I'm ready to experience the good things. Exactly. And the life's too short to not to close up and then shut it all out. It's like, yeah, you want to protect yourself from further bad experiences. And there's ways you can do that. And part of that way is by really getting to know. And I think this, what I said earlier in the show, when I became friends first before I got sexually involved, it was partly that process that you helped me know that, yes, I can trust this person. Yeah. And I can, meeting people in groups through interest areas, things I'm interested in, I could see how they interacted with other people. You could see the signs, you know, if they're misogynistic or taking advantage of somebody. It's going to kind of show in small ways. There'll be some sick red flags that go up. But if it's someone that's honorable and respectful, you'll see that too. And how they interact, not just with you, but with other people. Yep. And to, um, wrap up my journey because uh it's not going to be fully wrapped up because i'm still alive and i have oh, many yeah. <laughs> years to live but after um after i left you know i realized what happened to me coped with it a little bit got into another relationship and we were both poly but we wanted a monogamous relationship mm -hmm. and it didn't work out because yeah. that person grew distant from me and i started to want to have multiple people in the relationship again and he didn't yeah. like that uh -huh. so that ended and now i'm with my current partner who is monogamous we are in a monogamous relationship it is extremely monogamous like to the point where i can't really participate in um a lot of things like it's not mm -hmm. constrictive like the previous relationship before that where it was mm-hmm I like to clear... Okay, so here's what's going on. The, la the last ex I had before this current relationship, I felt so restricted and sick agreeing to being monogamous with that person because I, it just wasn't working. That it, that's the easiest way to say it. It wasn't working. I was denying being poly. Yeah. And they were neglecting me in while doing that. So that's why that didn't work. With this relationship, it's still hard. It's still frustrating mm. because this person is monogamous. They're not just poly and then agreeing to have being in a monogamous relationship. Mm. He is 100% bona fide monogamous. Mm. There's a lot of things I have to ask him before I do in case he feels uncomfortable. Yeah. 
there are certain actions I cannot do with people I'm close with because they could be misconstrued as being flirtatious or poly in its own right. And like I said, to me, it doesn't feel restrictive or possessive because we talked about this in the beginning. It wasn't just like, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. We genuinely sat down with each other and we talked about it for hours on end, Mm -hmm. saying what he didn't like, what he's okay with, what he would essentially have to get used to. He knows that I'm Polly, and, um, you know, things aren't perfect. We have a long journey to go as a couple. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we're happy. We're genuinely happy. We enjoy each other's company. We we don't know where this road will take us. We yeah. might end up breaking up on good terms mm-hmm. because of the fact that one's monogamous, one's poly. Yeah. We might stay together forever because of the fact that, um, you know, for my poly, I don't feel the need to have more than one person. I just end up randomly liking multiple people, mm-hmm. and I might not ever need another person besides him. I think as long as there's balance yeah. in, in the negotiations, it can't all go on one side and not the other. Does that make sense? Yep. There's got to be some give and take. That's how relationships work. Yep. You have to sit down and say, okay, here's my here's my hard limits, here's my soft limits, here's the things... And you work within those parameters and boundaries. And then it can work. But it's got to be something to work towards and make sure that it's... And I think underneath it all, honor and respect is what really needs to be the backbone of all relations. Honor and respect on both sides. can't be just one person honoring and respecting. It's got to come both ways yeah in in bdsm i look at it this way both the dom and the sub have to have honor and respect for each other exactly now i can be a total sadist (laughs) and i can be i can humiliate a sub with honor and respect yep and that seems almost paradoxical how can you be honorable and respectful when you're humiliating that submissive okay because that's what we negotiated and that's what they want and need at this time in their life and it's honoring their and respecting their needs and their desires and so then i can let the the sadist side of me come out and just degrade them and make them feel totally humiliated and humiliation can be a good feeling in a way (laughs) it can bring about some amazing things if it's consensual of course and And if it's something someone needs i went through my need at one point for humiliation and for some of the darker emotions and what i did discovered was that by going through that process, I was able to reach catharsis. And it wasn't stuffing those things away, going, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I was embracing it and saying, oh, yes. And, and 
I under, I completely understand what you're going for. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to put these things into word because they do seem so paradoxical. Any other last words? We're up to a little over two hours now. Oops, sorry. Wait, no, no, this is great. We can make this into two shows. Part A, part B. I just want to say, you know, that, like I said, the reason why I decided to say my piece on this story is because I want people, if they're going through something like this, even if they, even if it's just the beginning of it, mm-hmm. they're in the middle, they're getting away from it, it's not your fault. Yeah. It's okay. You're mm-hmm. okay. If you don't know anything about yourself and you're still learning about yourself, even if it, you're in your 60s, whether you're getting out of college, that's okay. Take all the time you need to learn about yourself. You're going to be in different stages of your life right now. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with my current partner, even though we have discrepancies about the relationship dynamic, because yeah. he's the person I currently need in this time in my life right now. Mm-hmm. And he accepts me for who I am. And he genuinely cares and loves for me. Yeah. He doesn't care that I'm poly. I mean, he does care in the relationship dynamic way. But I'm saying, like, he accepts me for being poly. Yeah. I think that's part of it, is being able to communicate and come to terms with everything. Mm-hmm. And it may be decide, okay, monogamy's not so bad with this person. I've known people that have kind of switch camps, so to speak, (laughs) because there was that amazing relationship they developed with someone, and it met enough of their needs, and that's perfectly okay. That's part of the process of life. Yep. To discover, you know, we're not given an instruction manual as human beings. (laughs) There's not a a map for us. We have to charter our own course in life. And part of that journey that helps us is the guideposts is being able to communicate with each other and be clear and respect and honor each other. And if someone isn't respecting you, get away from them as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. And it's not your fault that they disrespected you. That's their own fault. It's partly their own fault and partly the fault of our culture, I think. Yeah. Living in a sex-negative culture. And we'll be doing shows in the future on how to develop a sex-positive lifestyle. So I'd like to end the show and just get your final words on where you want to go from here. What do you want to experience? Well, I hope you'll have me on the show or any of your other future projects. Oh, like definitely. you call me <laughs> you can call me anytime if you need me to speak or if you have any mm-hmm. questions about my personal journey. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I rarely get to talk about these things, so it was a really it's positive okay. experience for okay. me. Yeah. And a really cleansing one in a way. Oh, it can be so much so. And it helps to get some other insights into something you faced on your own and say, okay, my hunch was right. They agree. You know, they agree. It's, it was abusive. It was what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing something wrong. 
And a lot of time the perpetrator will make you feel like it's your fault for this happening. That's part of the dynamics. And it's not your fault. Yep. And oftentimes it's not even the perpetrator's fault entirely. In part it's who they got taught by and they didn't learn a good way to go. That's the only way they know. And like I said, I am still for Polly. I am Polly. I will continue to embrace my Polly side. I will continue to embrace my personal fetishes and the and fetish community. And I would like community. to end this by saying that it's kind of like sexual orientation. You can be a vir total virgin and still be bisexual. Mm -hmm. It's who you're attracted to, not who you fuck. Mm -hmm. Determines your sexual orientation. Same with Polly. It's what you're attracted to. It's not who you fuck. Yep. It's not who you have sex with. It's not how many you have sex with. It's that Polly is kind of an ideal that you want to be able to, and you're open to the experience, whether it happens or not, of having multiple lovers. Exactly. And that's what the heart of Polly is about to me. It's not that, I mean, I'm not Polly at this moment because I'm not fucking anybody right now. <laughs> <laughs> Polly's something that's kind of ethereal that way. Now, I've fucked a lot of people <laughs> very consensually, and a lot of people have fucked me, and it's awesome. But at this particular moment we're sitting in a car <laughs> we're not fucking anybody <laughs> i like to kind of put that humorous look on things like that because sometimes we get so focused on our definitions we forget that okay time's something a little different than what we are taught it's not a clock <laughs> yep time is experience and as we experience life, we're many different things. And it's hard to put it, we try to make these boxes, but we can never truly fit inside the box all the time. So I hope that opens and sheds some light. It's a spiritual thing. It did for me, definitely, and I hope whoever gets to listen to this, it does the same for them. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thanks and, for having me. <laughs> And you've been listening to Adult Bedtime Stories. We're taking real life, real sexuality, defining it, educating people on it. In future shows, we'll be doing things on, like, sexual anatomy, where all those good spots are to touch and play with. We'll be doing all kinds of fun explorations, because that's part of this journey. But I also like to look at the darker side, too, on this show. Make it real. It's not all fuzzy bunnies, soft and fluffy. Sometimes there are the monsters in the closet. We have to deal with it all in life. And that's part of sexuality, too. Unfortunately, living in a sex-negative culture, we get the whole package. We've got to sort through it. And that's part of what this show's about, educating people on how to sort through it. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting 
that adults in our culture aren't provided with sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. But just like every other human endeavor, sex is something that we have to learn. It's not something that's instinctual. If we really want to go beyond just sticking it in, getting off, and going to sleep, nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more that we can experience if we have an adequate sexual education. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join me in a sex-positive lifestyle where you learn how to feel the beautiful creature that you are, how to identify and know that you're beautiful and sexy and gorgeous just as you are. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions that you may have for future show topics. There's no topic we won't cover. We would love to hear from you. If you have a topic you enjoy on this show or interested in, in learning more about sex and would enjoy a more in-depth learning experience, check out Raven's Lair Adult Education Training Videos. They are at www ravenslayerleather.com slash videos. Be sure to check out the free training offer and explore some of the topics we cover on the show in greater depth by obtaining Ravenslayer sexual education video training programs. Some of the training includes worksheets and erotic exercises that you can put into use to enjoy a liberating sex life. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. Explore everything sexual. Good night and enjoy. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world.